Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. So it cannot be a direct ancestor, but it is probably a close relative of that ancestor. Those words are from an article in the Economist newspaper describing a few recently discovered bones from South Africa. The bones have been named a scientific name that I won't even try to pronounce. Apparently there have been three sites found. They have assembled the bones found from all of these sites and they've tried to make a complete skeleton out of them all, from all three places. Bones scattered over the three sites are being put together like a puzzle, trying to make one whole human-like ancestor. But parts were obviously missing. I'm not surprised. The photograph in the book of the completed model in the, shows the constructed bones. The missing bones were clearly constructed out of some plaster of Paris or something similar. You can see these white bone-like pieces against the real bones that were darkened by age. Someone did a good job guessing where and how to fill in the missing bones. It does look like a real skeleton. The article says that the form displays a mixture of features that reflect its simian past and anticipate its human future. It has a chimpanzee-like foot, but a human-like pelvis, hands and feet. One professor commented that it still reflects its arboreal past. They admit, however, that they are at a loss to understand where it fits in the human family tree. They also admit that it cannot be a direct ancestor. Hence my quote when they conclude with the opening remarks of this broadcast. It cannot be a direct ancestor, they say, but it is probably a close relative of that ancestor. My opinion? They continue to try and force fit the theory of evolution with reality. It is obvious, and it seems they are being honest at least, in that they admit that they cannot easily place these bones in the human family tree. But being adverse to accepting that God created all of this, they are still trying to make the bones fit into their scheme of things as they imagine it to be. Someone with that frame of mind tried then to fit the gaps in the missing bones. How do we know they were formed and assembled accurately? We don't, of course. Like the old infamous scam known as the Piltdown Man, people will try make evolution look to be true. Why don't they just accept that this discovery is an unusual and hitherto unknown species? Why do they continue to try to make their desperate attempts to discredit the Bible and prove evolution? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simply profound, isn't it? These bones that they've found in South Africa reflect another species of the creation that Genesis attributes to God. Why does it have to be a link in the chain to humans? Because I suggest the enemy desperately tries to minimize the importance of the Bible in our lives. Forget God. All this can be explained by other more scientific ways. But you know it can't. 
As hard as they try to prove it using evolution or other goofy explanations, they only create further division. I personally don't understand how these people ever expect to prove that evolution actually occurred. If it was true, there would have to be a continuing sequence of real examples showing a gradual but clearly defined progression from one species to the next, one after the other, until a clear, unequivocal human being evolved. That just doesn't exist. Similarities show up using common design, but there's no evidence that one species evolved into another. Why don't they face it? In the beginning, God created. They will, they must face that creator one day when he can tell them personally that he made it all and that they have been wasting their time.
And now with this message for today is our pastor, Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Echoes of Calvary. We trust that you are being blessed and challenged as a result. We are continuing with our verse-by-verse exposition of the epistle of Jude. This is an epistle that is dedicated to warning believers about false teachers of the Word of God and instructing believers to contend earnestly or to fight faithfully for the faith, that is, the Word of God that was once and for all delivered to or deposited with the people of God. To state it succinctly, Jude is saying, resist and boldly oppose those who distort the word of God. Now, last time, we saw that Jude presented the principle that moral corruption or immorality always follow doctrinal corruption, which in turn is always followed by divine judgment. That is his proposition or his thesis. He draws upon history to give several illustrations of this principle. The first was the Jewish people themselves, when they refused to obey the word of God after they came out of Egypt and mingled with the pagan worshippers of the land that led to immorality. As a result, God judged them severely. His second example was the fallen angels, who left their prescribed domain and committed sexual immorality and perversion with the daughters of men. God judged them as well. His third example, which we began to look at last time, is Sodom and Gomorrah. He begins this in verse 7 where he says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, they are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. End of quote. That's verse 7. Now, Jude's use of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of the certainty of judgment is extremely pertinent and relevant for us today. As I point out in our last message, we usually regard the sexual immorality and perversion mentioned by Jude in this verse as referring specifically and exclusively to sodomy or homosexuality as the only reason for and cause of God's judgment upon those cities. This has given some preachers especially, and Christians in general, a basis for coming down extremely hard on condemning this particular sin, even to the point of being ungodly in their denouncement of this ungodly lifestyle. This is very unfortunate. But I want you to look with me for a moment at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 14. The prophet is speaking the word of the Lord to the religious leaders of Jerusalem. Notice what he says, quote, Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. Notice carefully now, the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. End of quote. The prophet is referring to both the religious leaders as well as the people. But I want you to notice something carefully now. 
Nothing is said in this context about sodomy and homosexuality. Now, exactly what were these religious leaders doing that caused God to make such an indictment against them that they were like Sodom and Gomorrah? Jeremiah is very specific with his answer. They commit adultery and they live a lie. Now, remember, the prophet is talking about those whom we would call today pastors, preachers, or prophets, leaders of the church, in other words. Now, I ask you, is this not true in our day? Have not a good number of leading religious leaders, both in the U.S. as well as here in the Bahamas, been found guilty of these very things, committing immorality and covering it up with lies? My friends, one has to really wonder how many more have not yet been caught. Now, remember, what is being spoken about here in our text is a lifestyle, a pattern of life, not a one-time fall into sin that is confessed and repented of. No, what is being spoken of here is a secret, sinful way of life that is deliberately and consistently engaged in. The prophets of Israel were guilty of this, and so were the religious leaders of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the point that Jeremiah is making. I have always wondered personally if Lot was also included in this number. But secondly, the prophet goes on, he says, they strengthen the hands of evildoers. Now these are the preachers, these are the prophets. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. End of quote. What an indictment this is even on our own day. God says that the religious leaders of Jerusalem were like Sodom and Gomorrah because they contributed to the evildoers by not doing anything to bring them to repentance, and in fact, by being guilty of the very same offenses themselves. They refused to change their lifestyle, and so they could not legitimately speak out or confront the evildoers of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their own lifestyle, that is, the lifestyle of the religious leaders, bridled their lips. Their action belied their position, and their position was corrupted by their behavior. Their immoral lifestyle and passivity in condemning sin actually contributed to the evil and corruption in the city. Sodomy and immorality were present and practiced, but the religious leaders said nothing and did nothing about it. How could they? They themselves, the prophet says, were involved in secret sexual immorality. This, too, the Bible says, contributed to the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was not only the evil behavior of the Sodomites. It was also because of the evil behavior of the religious leaders and the people of the city who refused to obey the word of God. They did not contend earnestly for the faith, as it were. God actually blames the religious leaders for allowing this evil to go on. Now, amazingly, Jeremiah was not the only prophet who made this point. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 49 and verse 50. And we're going to see what else God has to say about why he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to the word of God. Quote, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, 
overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Notice carefully now the word of God. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. End of quote. And so God gives a specific reason why he destroyed these cities, and it has to do with the behavior of the religious leaders of the day. Shocking, isn't it? But it's true nonetheless. Notice once again, nothing in this text is said specifically about sodomy or homosexuality. What is mentioned as the sins of Sodom and done by the leaders are, one, arrogance, two, too much affluence, and three, lack of social concern. This means that the people of Sodom, as well as the religious leaders, were completely void of a social conscience. They did not become involved in helping those in need, even though they were overfed and stuffed themselves, as the prophet says. And they were arrogant in their position, even in the midst of their failure. It just simply did not bother them one iota concerning the situation of the people, especially the poor of Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, this was detestable before me. Therefore, I did away with them. Now, it is not until we come to Jude and verse 7 that God specifically names sexual immorality and perversion or homosexuality as the specific reasons for punishing Sodom and Gomorrah. All through the Old Testament, the reason that God gives for destroying these cities was the immoral lifestyle of the religious leaders and the people and the fact that they were not obeying the word of God. Now, the significance of all of this is that we must see that the reason why open immorality and other sexual perversion exists in a society is because the righteous or those who claim to be righteous do not live righteously, nor do they speak out against unrighteousness. In a word, they did not contend earnestly for the truth of God's word by the way they lived. The principle that emerges is very clear. It is this. Immorality flourishes in a society where sin is allowed to go unchecked by the righteous or where the professed righteous is not living in keeping with the word of God. God is teaching then in these passages that Christian leaders must take the lead and blame in this area for immorality in our country. Is this principle not actually illustrated in the case of Lot? The Bible says he was a righteous man. In fact, the Bible says he was vexed in his soul about the conditions in Sodom. But yet there's no evidence that he once spoke out against the evil. In fact, the one time he did try to make an effort was to help his own family. The scripture says that at that time he appeared to them as one who mocked. In other words, they couldn't believe what he was saying because his lifestyle up to that point was all to the contrary. Was this because they knew something about Lot's own personal life? Or was it simply because of the fact that he had remained silent so long that when he did cry wolf, no one would believe him? Did he live and enjoy the fat of the land of Sodom and became overfed and became arrogant? 
and did not lift a finger to help the poor and the needy, nor speak out against the evil in Sodom? My friend, how many of God's people today, including pastors, preachers, and priests, are so living of the fat of the world that it has paralyzed and neutralized their spiritual impact and credibility in the world? From a biblical perspective, then, the unchecked moral, social, and religious corruption that plague a society must be seen as a symptom or product of God's judgment that already rests upon a society as a whole that has abandoned righteousness for licentiousness, materialism, and secularism. It is not the judgment itself, mind you, but it is a symptom or evidence of a universal judgment already executed upon those who reject or turn away from God and his word. More to the point of the text we have read in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Jude, such symptomatic sins of God's judgment would not be as evident or able to flourish as much in a given society if Christians live righteously and spoke out against sin, corruption, and immorality in meaningful ways, especially by living righteously rather than by absorbing the standards and mores of a fallen culture. Jude is teaching that we actually destroy the credibility of the Word of God when Christians live contrary to the teaching of the Word, and when Christians actually encourage immorality when we refuse to speak out against it from a life of holiness and obedience to the Word of God. My friends, God means exactly what he says in Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Jude is saying then, this is especially so if sin is practiced by professing Christians. We must contend earnestly for the faith by living obediently to the word of God. May God enable us then to live righteously for the glory of God and the good of our nation. May we contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints by the way we live in accordance with that word. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. 
grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again